The Recap Book Chat duo is here. Time to get our brain cells in gear. And as Betty Smith said, the world is yours for the reading. Welcome to the Recap Book Chat. Thank you so much for joining us today. We are diving in to a book called Gist, The Essence of Raising Life-Ready Kids by Michael Anderson, who's a licensed psychologist, and Timothy Johannesson, who's a pediatrician. So and then, these guys know their stuff. And I thought it worked really well hearing two different perspectives. They did an excellent job of, of, of writing this. It is a, I would say, must read. Oh, definitely. For anybody that's around people. <laughs> that's yeah. what I would say. Because it is a parenting book, but like you had already said, grandparenting, would, it, it would help grandparents not to uh, go against the parents, to support the parents and not go against them. And it would help teachers immensely. So I and think anybody dealing with people. Well, and the first part, part one, is really just about what does it mean to be life ready? And so that's for anybody, even if you don't have kids. That's just uh, kind of understanding what it means to be life ready. So let's so. start with, at the very beginning, it, you know how I like stories. It starts with a story, and the chapter title is called Love Must Evolve. And it's talking about a family that they are out driving, and they see a dead female uh, red fox uh, lying by the road, and beside her is a baby. So they take the baby home. And they say, well, well, we'll raise it till it's ready to be in the wild and then we'll let it go. And then time passes and the fox is four years old laying on the sofa eat, eating dog food, science diet. <laughs> they even named the dog food. But and his name was Hank. And what he tell and from that they springboard into they didn't know that love must evolve. They had failed to prepare Hank to live free and on his own. And they make a point of saying, you know, uh, you don't love a three-year-old like you love a 15-year-old. Yes. And if your love doesn't involve, then you cripple. You yes. cripple the kids, which I thought was great. That is a great point. That I, Yes, I like that. Love must evolve to survive. And so, so it starts with part one. And that is, uh, there's three parts of the book. Part one is the nature of life, love, learning, living, and joy. And so, and it, it, that's a great point to start off of, of just a kind of an overview. And that's just really your, your core is kind of, what does it mean to be life ready? That's part one. Part two is learning solid parenting thought processes and strategies. So it gets a little bit more in depth in part two um, it, with things to like application. What does it mean to take what you're, take the overview and, and put it into parenting. And then part three is unintended consequences of ineffective parenting. Kind of things that we do that aren't effective and pulling those out. So part back to part one. So what does it mean to be life ready? What did you learn from part one? Well, I, and I think we don't look, you don't, in one part it said parent for today and tomorrow. Don't just parent for today. 
and so and good. if you did see that like know where you're headed and it said look around see how many 20 year olds are living without direction accountability independence and a sense of responsibility much of this can be traced back to a child who was deeply loved but that love didn't evolve mm, great point kind of gives you chill bumps i mean mm -hmm. it's like oh my goodness yeah and we need to know a, that's why parents, you know, you have to know what works because it says uh, the problem, it's problematic for a two-year-old to not go to the bathroom or something. But what is problematic for uh, a 20-year-old is maybe not keeping his word when he said he would do something to do. So it's totally different. Uh, but mm -hmm. if you don't address it for the two-year-old, I really say uh, most kids, they've got to kind of have a lot done by the time they're five. When they go to school, they should already know not to lie, to finish a job, to work hard. All that should be in their core already. And that's hard. But, but even if it's not, it's not hopeless. It can still be learned. No. So that would just be the easiest way. Yes. But at the end of each chapter, which I love the word gist because we do that in school. What's the gist? The gist of it. And they have a gist of it at the end of every chapter. And then it has like three, four points. And when I circled this one, our job is to train our children, prepare them, and in them leave a legacy. Yes. And they're real big on the legacy. And if you do that, it, it means that adulthood will be, you know, they'll be equipped and it'll be good for them. All your lessons you've taught them. Oh, I loved their checklist. I got to read some of it. This They have a checklist for adulthood. And this is in part one. And it, this is a list of experiences a child should have before he or she becomes an adult. Not being invited to a birthday party. Experiencing the death of a pet. Breaking something valuable. Working hard on a paper and still getting a poor grade. Having a car break down from home. Seeing the tree he planted die. Being told that the class or camp is full. Getting detention. Um, it keeps, there's a, there's a big list, but being fired from a job, not making varsity team, coming in last at something, being hit by another kid, rejecting something that he has been taught, um, deeply regretting something that she can't, saying something she can't take back, not being invited when friends are going to, going out, being picked last for neighborhood kickball, stuff like that. And you, we think of those as, those are bad things. We don't want our kids to experience it. So this was, this was an eye-opening read for me. And I'm like... Oh, it really helped get my feet. I feel like on good foundation. I'm like, okay, I do want my kids to experience that, mm -hmm. you know, and, and my, mine have experienced some rejection and not being picked on games and not being invited, different things like that. And it's just like for a parent, you're just so, it feels so helpless and you're like, oh man. And you just feel so bad, but this really helps put in perspective. Like it is, it's not fun, but that's a good experience to have. So. Yeah, that's what, like in school, when somebody would have a bad day, like they would fall at recess or whatever, and I would say, oh, that'll be great for you to write about that during writing time. That'll be a good story. Because really, the good stories are stories about conflict. Exactly. So, yeah. And there was a, a, a chapter called Learning and Anti-Learning that was really good because it says that there is nothing to be gained by learning something false. And that's kind of what kids are learning if we make them think the world revolves around them because it doesn't. Mm -hmm. So yes. we're teaching them something false. And if a kid throws a tantrum and they're getting their way, we're teaching them something that they're going to have to unlearn later in life. 
because you can throw a fit in the office and you probably won't get your way. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yes. And so I like how they talk about that. The truths yeah. of things like learning tr- solid truths. And it says we learn from our mistakes, but we don't learn from our mistakes if we blame them on others. And I thought that was good. Mm, so we only good. learn from the mistakes that we accept, you know. Yes. And it says that uh, anti-learning is when we learn something that takes us further from the truth than just a neutral position. So, uh, and they said it's bad if, if a child does cheat or something and they don't have the good consequences. That takes your learning. That's a setback for growth. Like, let's say it says an eighth grader copies, uh, copies quiz answers and then gets a, the best score in the class. Well, see, no, it didn't happen. Life didn't happen like it should have. Yes. So in, in real life, the person that is most invested in your kids is you. That's so true. you have to be, as a parent, grandparent, aunt, uncle, diligent to help them because teachers are going to miss stuff. You know, yeah, you, you would think the teacher should have got that he's copying, you know, uh, but they didn't. So you've got to be diligent. You, you know, you say you made an A on this. That's great. But and then maybe ask them some questions. I'm just like, <laughs> but when they make a poor decision, it's really good that bad things happen. You know, it, it's true. good for uh, a consequence. Uh, so going back to the truth, I like that they talked about because we are going to come to forks in the road. And to be able to decide, we need to know the truth. And so they go through just a few of them that joy is usually more fulfilling than fun. Learning is more elevating than knowledge. Courage is ultimately safer than fear. Meaningful is typically a better choice than comfortable. A challenge is inherently more rewarding than the familiar. Having compassion for others is usually more mature than judging others. Gray thinking is usually more honest than black and white thinking. And generosity and giving are often a hedge against taking. So I love those that that really helps kids. Like when you come up, which way should I go? If you know kind of those truths, it really helps you make the right decision, I feel like. Explain to us the difference between joy and fun. Um, I love what they said. Fun is morally indifferent and spiritually detached. Joy is morally grounded and spiritually aware. Fun has a bent toward excitement while joy has a bent toward peace. So fun is enjoyable, but often fleeting and joy is far more enduring. And also it made a point that kids know what's fun. Kids can do fun all day and parents should not be responsible for their fun. When kids say, I didn't have any fun today, then you need to say, well, that's your fault. You you didn't have any fun, but it did mention that parents have to show kids what brings joy. And you have to train that up. So joy might be buying a shut-in groceries and taking them, raking someone's yard, a kind of a service, but it lasts a lot longer than fun. So tell that story that he told about the Disneyland, the Disney trip. Yeah, well, I've told this to several people, like a 15-year-old, and I think she had um, a little brother and a sister who were in another school than her. So they all went to Disney World and when they got back, everybody else, their, their spring break was over. And so they had to go to school or work. But Sarah, that was her name, she got the week off. And she texted her mom at 10. And you think she would say, thanks for a great week. And they, they said they had a wonderful week. Everything went, they did everything they planned. Anyway, she said, I'm bored. <laughs> 
Oh, man. Yeah. And I thought, wow. Yes. She did and, not say anything about. So I think gratitude's huge, of course, mm-hmm. you know. But that just but, shows how fleeting fun is. So. And it's, it talks about that as being a truth, what joy is. And it said too often these truths are not passed on to our kids. And I'm thinking that 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 gives them an unbalanced perspective on in life. And it won't do them well. It won't serve them well as parents themselves. Yes. And they but talk yeah. about the kids. It, there's been a shift where they assume that there's like this entitlement that they're supposed to have fun every day. There's mm-hmm. this entitlement towards fun. And not, and it goes a step further, not even that they're supposed to have fun every day, but that it's someone else's job to provide the fun. Yes. So, and it, and it, and in the analogy, they said most parents would be aghast at the idea of feeding their children only chips, soft drink, and desserts. They're constantly aware of the impact of the child's diet on their health, self image, energy, and future. Yet the same parents will allow their children's lives to be dominated by fun activities rather than meaningful activities that build joy. Mm -hmm. I thought, wow. Yeah, they have good analogies. But it was, and that to me, I guess, I didn't ever, I never really thought about that, you know, but God's way is always the best way. Yes. And it says in here how good it is for kids to do something they don't like. Yes. And it says, if if a child spends years never following through on anything, he will gradually find he has no tangible achievements. And they talked about how important it was for a kid to have achievements. And there's a movie, it's an old movie, it's called The D.I., but there's a sergeant, there's a private Owens in there. He's dropped out of everything. And he's really smart, but he dropped out of med school, he dropped out of this, dropped out of college, dropped out of everything. I mean, and now he's in the Marines. And his mom meets with his drill instructor. And you think the mother's going to say, oh, you know, give him a... No, she says, you be tough on him. He's got to finish this or he won't finish anything in his life. So there come a point. She said, I babied him. I pampered him. That's because, you know, she'd lost her husband and her other sons in the war. But she realized, even as a mother, you know, he has to finish. It wasn't benefiting him. So, I mean, and and Titus may never say, thank you for taking me to MMA, but he's finished. He's gotten a belt. He's went up and all that. And that right there, even if they don't want to, finishing something is so important. I had a student years ago, you know, like I was reading five books, you know, and some kids are real impressed by that, but I'm not trying to impress anybody. It's just an ADHD kind of thing. Uh, But he said, well, really, Miss Barnes, it's not the books you start. It's the books you finish. (laughs) Uh, so i said oh jackson that's pretty good that's pretty good that's really good the struggle is real they talked about hope and pain and i put a little um math problem hope plus pain equals struggle and they said it's good to struggle well and it's good to not avoid pain either and that's one thing i do really like about the mma program that we're a part of is that when they do do a promotion and they break the board and stuff at the end, they have to do these knuckle push-ups on the the boards that they broke. And it's painful. It doesn't hurt them. It doesn't, I mean, it doesn't leave a mark or anything really, you know. But it it's uncomfortable. It's painful and during the process to do that. But I love that they do that because that's teaching them to not avoid pain. And and it's teaching them that you can with you can endure pain. 
whether uh, medically or emotionally, there's always a price to pay for avoiding pain. So I thought that was good. But I I, I think it's important. That's the whole first part, really, is allow your child to experience life with you around. But let them know it happens. I mean, we, we should know life is hard. Life is difficult. Oh, that was a huge one. I grabbed onto that because I, my older son definitely struggles sometimes with, he thinks life should be easy. And so that was a, that's a big talking point for us now. Hey, life is difficult. And it helps them understand life when you put it that way instead. Mm -hmm. And then they're not disappointed all the time because it's not easy. Well, if you do, if you know that life is a series of hills and valleys, you read the Psalms in the Bible. I mean, hey, a lot of those are valleys. They're in the valley, but there's also mountaintop. So yes. I, I love that it goes up and down. One part, it says, if we as parents mentor our children's fun, we will mentor them into a repeated chase and endless pursuit. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking we, we need to, as you always are saying, put the big rocks in first. And the big rock yes. is not fun, but we try to make everything fun, 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 till her daddy takes the T-bird away. But hey. <laughs> <laughs> okay, moving on to part two now. So now we're going to get into some more of the nitty gritty, the learning solid parenting thought processes and strategies. What were some things that you pulled out of part two? I'm looking. The easy way out is never easy, right? They have a story when they entered it and he got this little dog from um, the from the humane society and the dog would cower all the time. Laddie was the dog's name and he cowered. And so he thought, well, he needs to be loved. He had a hard life. So he loves, and the more he loves him, the more he cowers. And then he finally took him to a dog breeding champion. This lady, she's the expert. And this is what she said. Immediately, she said, you are thinking about it backward. You aren't reassuring your dog at all as you think. You are rewarding his cowering. Just simply walk away with no words or eye contact. The second laddie starts to cower. Leave when he drops his head. And so he does that, never cowered again. Yeah. <laughs> I that thought, was a good story. Yeah. And I'm just thinking, wow. And, he, and also in this part, what I took away, one big one is one chapter is called Just Shut Up. Yes. So we as parents and teachers and anyone dealing with kids, we talk too much. And that's been yes. proven, especially girls can handle the talking more than boys. Boys can't handle much talking. They're, they're not even mm-hmm. listening to you. Needless banter is all the things parents say that are unnecessary. And you're not, they're not even going to hear you. Life is the best teacher. And, and, and then it gives you a list. If kids are thriving, some kids, and you know, we all know these kids. These kids just don't need to be gotten on to. They don't need to be they do their homework when they come in from school they some kids do that you know I don't think I ever told you to do your homework Mm -hmm. we had other issues but you know like that so I shouldn't have said do your homework if you're already going to do it yourself so they said if you have a kid who's thriving stop parenting just back away and enjoy it a thriving and this is a thriving child they follow important rules get along with others to an acceptable extent, perform in school at an appropriate level for his abilities. They're honest and cooperative. They show creativity and passion for life, demonstrate obedience when obedience is important. 
lives with age-appropriate courage to face new adventures, refrains from breaking any laws or acting reckless in any way. That is a thriving child. And I thought, wow, now that's, so why are you talking to that kid? You know what I'm saying? Yes. Except you could say, oh, great. You want milk and cookies while you do it? (laughs) (laughs) And those are seasons. They may be in that season for a while and then they may get into a challenging season. But I like that they said, enjoy, enjoy it while it's, while it goes on. And it says, look, we have a job to do. It's to teach our kids to live, not to make them live a certain way. Yes. It says, don't take anything personally. You should care more about love than the relationship. Mm Because there are, like you said, different seasons. It says, when you're parenting, take nothing personally. I highlighted, when parents take something personally, personally, on an emotional level, they drastically diminish their competence. So I have definitely done that. I don't know if I agree with all of them, but there is a whole list on page 84 about things that require no parent parental involvement. What did you not agree with? Well, some of them I did agree with. Your child gets detention for being rowdy on the bus. They said, you know, let the school handle that. Your son loses his new Atlanta Braves cap. I agree with that. Your, na- your child breaks a neighbor's window by throwing a water balloon. Well, if the child's going to handle it, I wouldn't get involved. But if the child doesn't want to pay for it, I'd, I feel like a parent needs to get involved. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, your daughter forgets to buy a present for a friend's birthday. That would be a tough one. Uh, you know, especially if you're, well, I mean, I wouldn't be, it wouldn't be tough if you don't go. But it would be tough to show up to a birthday party with no gift. That's true. Your daughter left her cheeseburger on the deck and the dog ate it. That one, (laughs) I was like, what? Uh, Your late teen threw her cell phone in a rage and broke it. That one's easy. Your 10-year-old won't come in for dinner and your 18-year-old lost his paycheck. That one's sad. And then your fifth grade grader hates his science teacher. Well, I think you might need to talk to him about that. I don't know that it involves you. Just say, yeah, but everyone in life is either a lesson or a blessing. And maybe this teacher is a lesson. Because, I mean, we've all mm-hmm. had bad teachers. So I guess it's saying you don't need to go up to the school and get involved. Oh, in that okay. So you can still, uh, very briefly, I know they say try to get it in 45 seconds. I think I could. Uh, your four-year-old left his action figure at McDonald's. I think we've all probably had that happen. Uh, you leave stuff, you know. Your young soccer player left her spikes out in the rain. So, and they say, ask this question. Do I really need to do anything here? Mm-hmm. I read a book when you guys were young and I would say, this was the line that I got from that book was, what are you going to do about it? That's a good line. Yeah. And that puts a- the responsibility back on them. We're raising adults and to keep that perspective because we're, we want them to be responsible adults. We want them to be able to handle stuff. And that starts now. And they can't be responsible for things if we're over responsible for it. I've heard it said like, imagine like a pizza. These pieces of pizza are like emotional investment. If we, if the parent has all the, the, these pieces of the pizza, this emotional investment, then the kid, there's nothing left for the kid to have. So of course he's not, he's not going to be responsible. He's not going to be emotionally invested because the parent's taking it all on. We're not getting involved. That means they're getting to take the emotional investment of the things they're supposed to be responsible for. And I was really surprised. And I dropped the ball on this one. By the end of fourth grade, kids are supposed to be waking themselves up. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, and I did that. 
my life, I had to do that. I had to get up because mom didn't get up. But I always wanted to wake you guys up because that was like uh, you have a like a functional home. <laughs> you know, that's what I was thinking. But they're saying by the end of fourth grade, they should be waking themselves up. And I know it's possible. Yes, it did make sense, though. When you read it, you're like, yeah, that, that why not learn that at home instead of when they go to college, then they they can't get out of bed for a class. That's true. And it said, I like this. It says, even a mediocre plan is better than no plan. Mm. Yes. So, and they were talking about that there's a way when you say no uh, video games and your kid still plays, they said, shut the breaker box off. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, they were serious. Yes. And I I liked what they said the, um, about, and I learned this, Take the opportunity regularly to spend as much one-on-one time with each of your children as you can. Those memories will last a lifetime. That kind of stood out to me because I didn't really realize that. But they said most kids, when they remember something, it's mom with dad. It's mom with, I was with mom and we did this. I was with dad and we did this. Not with a group. Uh, yes, that was a good takeaway. Like, I definitely need to be more intentional about spending individual time of my children. That's something we, I think that should be a big rock that we need to kind of schedule out maybe. Yeah. And, and, and I think it's hard, you know, mm-hmm. and I, I'm, I did like that. They said your, your child takes as much energy as you give. And that is true. There has been days where I'm like, I'm just going to be totally focused on them or what, you know, it was a special day or something. And, and then by the end of it, I'm like, they they're still wanting more and i'm like i i gave you everything i had yeah. and <laughs> you still i'm trapped like, yeah well i i think that and the just shut up is just so it, it is it is hard to shut up you know it is really yes. hard as parents we want to talk we want to lecture but parenting does not equal talking and i used to tell that to my teachers teach talking does not equal teaching so really talking uh you know it, it's not that, that powerful so tell about the speeding ticket analogy. I thought that was good with talking too much. And why'd you pick me to do that one? Is that because I had a ticket? Is that it? I get it. I get it. You know, they always have a story. So the story here, they're telling you not to talk too much. And they, they tie it in with, if you were to get a speeding ticket, I will say my police officer was just like the good one. He came up and said, ma'am, you know, you were speeding. He wrote me out a ticket. It was done in less than five minutes. It was over. But he said, what, what, if the spe- what if the policeman goes on and on and talks about... Uh, Digital lecture. <laughs> yeah, says, well, well, I've got you here. I noticed your dog out in the street without a leash. I noticed your garbage getting more and more untidy. I noticed this and blah, 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 and just kind of sca- <laughs> scathing criticism. And, and shame, like saying, do you know there could be kids on the street? What are you doing driving this fast? Da, 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 da. Like really shaming you, so even though you know... Yeah, and, and it and it then it says your first relation, I mean, your first encounter with the cop, the good one, you felt regret, and that's what we're wanting. We're wanting mm-hmm. them to feel regret, which is good. Guilt yes. is good. It's the shaming. But then the second one, they pushed you so much, and now you feel rage. You turn into the rage monster, and you just, you know, I think that's so much. If we would just say it and say it briefly, and then move on it would be somewhat much more impactful. Uh, he compares it to white noise. 
And I said, wow. You know, Charlie Brown's teacher. Wah, 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 yep. wah, wah, wah. That was a good description. Yeah, yeah, good connection. That's what I learned out of part two. I talk too much. So to, to be quiet, keep it short. Um, I learned about the one-on-one time, that, that how important that is. I, want, I learned about not taking things personally. That as a parent, I have to not take anything personally. I learned about the invisibility game. And I learned that in the consequences, they need to be severe and brief. So those are my five takeaways from part two. Well, I've got, uh, of course, you know, I write in the book, but one I have parents are called upon at times to lighten a load for a child, but over lightening the load will contribute to self-contempt in the child and won't provide the safety or self-love we hope to achieve. And so I thought, well, that, that was powerful. And also we all grow from our mistakes, but only from the mistakes that we don't blame on others. A child who is a blamer, I, I thought this was mind-blowing. A child who is a blamer will gradually fall behind his or her peers. Mm-hmm. I thought that is pretty powerful. Because you're not yeah. accepting responsibility. So you're not learning. You're not growing. So you're stalled. Yeah. And it says adults and kids alike do what they do to an astonishing degree because it works. So the because it works chapter was huge. The reason kids throw that tantrum is because it works. Yes. And how bad randomness is. It might not work all the time, but Johnny's going to try it if it works even 25% of the time. Oh, he's game. He's going to try it. You know, because he once did get the candy bar for throwing a fit. So he's going to do it. Yes. And, and so you actually make your life harder if, if, you, if you drop the ball, you know. That's true. And it says most problem behaviors happen because they work. Or have worked for years. And that could be in any age group. Yes, that's across the board. People are doing stuff because they're, they're getting something out of it. And, and it is important, I think, to realize you might be uncomfortable. If you take away Junior's cell phone, let's say, he, he, let's say he's 15 or 16 and has a cell phone, and you take that away, that's going to make you and him, you're, you're going to have a, dis, it's going to be uncomfortable. But mm-hmm. you're teaching him something. And this book is very empowering to, to parents because you're paying the, the bill. You know, you are paying the bill. So he said parents have more power than they think they do. Yes. Well, and I but, like that they talked about, too, that parents, because we do have anger, but a lot of time parental anger arises from not knowing what to do. You yes. kind of feel that backed in the corner. And so then you're angry, then you're lashing out, then you're probably talking too much and talking too much it, it destroys the relationship with our kids. And then it makes them learning the lesson that they need to learn difficult and then their shame and all of that when really it, it's coming from we don't know what to do. So that's why this book is really powerful because it gives you a blueprint and mm-hmm. everyone's different. So it's going to be different, but it gives you some thought processes, some strategies and just some overall life ready goals that you you are trying to get to. Yeah, when it says um, sometimes not disclosing the time frame for a lost privilege is a good strategy uh, because then you know the negotiator child's going to kick in if you say you're going to be a week without this or whatever. You just say when 
you know, you just say, this is the thing. And it says, whatever your decision, stick to it. And then they said, you should err on the side of severity and brevity, but always be calm and assertive. So it can be severe, but in brief. And they said, the, the sooner uh, you give him his Xbox back, you can take it away again. You know, but, and I think that gives us the, you know, it's training. It's it a training. Mm -hmm. And I will, so I'm in the middle of this right now and it is, so I can't speak to the results. The, I can't speak to the results, but the application is great because I've done it with both of them. And they, they talk a lot about only picking two things. There's a that, chapter and it says the two things, because if you say three things, you, nobody hears it. So I like that they, that's kind of research based. So two things and tell us what you did. With each of them, I, each of my kids, we went through and we talked about the two things we're going to focus on. And they say, you know, about two to three weeks is what you're, where you're going to focus on. And really during that time, you can kind of let other things go because you're just, I mean, you're really focusing on these two things. And so for example, my younger son is, uh, he needs to do his homework first thing and before he plays. He likes to come home after school and play, and then his homework is not getting done unless I'm nagging, which I've been trying to not nag. I'm like, I want him to be responsible for it for that. So, but when I don't say anything, then it's either doesn't get done or it's like super hurriedly in the morning. So we decided, okay, so we wrote this out and we said, uh, this is the this is the goal that you're working on is doing your homework before you play. And the consequence is if you play first on a day, then you lose. He has these balls that he play. He loves to play catch and stuff like that, which, so he'll lose those for three days. So, and that's already happened. He's already lost, but he was totally okay. He actually, he knew when he did it, he went and got him and brung him to me himself and said, cause we'd already laid this out. Like, before there was an incident and weren't you glad weren't you happy? so glad so that worked well as far as I didn't have to deal with whining or any like and, and I didn't have to talk about it we didn't talk about it at all like he knew he went he brought me said, I'll go get the balls <laughs> yes and then and then the only thing we've talked about he's like when do I get him back and I said three days so today he gets them back and I love it because I definitely talk too much and they don't listen and then I'm frustrated because I'm like I'm trying to give you all this good parental advice and you're not listening. So it really does is better, especially for boys, but I think girls too, but to have it written out and then don't talk about it. So mm -hmm. that it's been, it's been working so far thus far. I really like that strategy. And, you know, also you used it earlier when we had just started, they said just limiting screen time, you know, just like you're going to have a movie night on Friday and I think it was Jonah that came in on Wednesday or Thursday and said, are we going to, can, can I watch TV? And you said, is it Friday? Yeah. Which is good too. Because mm -hmm. you just keep it short and simple. And I got, we got to talk about the invisibility game too, because that's, okay. that was interesting yeah. part of uh, part two. But after you put your kids to bed, then they do what's called the invisibility game where you, if they get out of bed, you do not make eye contact. So if we go through the nightly routine, hugs, kisses, prayers, reading, all that. And, and you, of course you make eye contact then. And then, but after that, after they've been, if it's not an emergency, you know, if there's, if obviously if there's something serious, you, that's fine. But 
if they're just trying to stall, which my kids are good at stalling. Yeah, they, they are. They and will. You, you usually buy it hook, line, and sinker too. I'm proud of you. <laughs> so, but the, the visibility games, if they get up for any reason that, that you don't make eye contact, you pretend they're invisible. For the most part, uh, you can say things like, you need to be in bed or something like that, but don't make eye contact. So, I can't Not, talk to you now. You're supposed to be in bed or something like that. Yeah. And, and that, I think it's powerful uh, to also note how, how sad it is if parents are on a phone or on a device when their kids are talking to them and don't make eye contact and the kid's not in trouble. Great point. The kid's Great invisible. point. Because yeah. you're punishing them for something they, they don't need to be punished for. And then one chapter might really upset people. It says, tell the truth. And it was telling you that, you know, you, our kids aren't gifted. 2% of the kids are gifted. So accept your kid for, and, and he gave a lot of examples of kids who were pushed and all that, but it's very stressful for the kid. And um, it says, not as many kids as we think are truly exceptional. Our country is paying a high price for this arrogance. Mm. And I just thought, yeah, why not love them for what they are? Well, and, and then they uh, think something's wrong with them. Yeah, that's the problem, too, is because exceptional is now like, oh, everyone has to be exceptional. So when they are not, when they don't excel like someone else or they think something's wrong, instead of being comfortable and under like with themselves and understanding this is what I'm good at. This is what I'm not good at. And not that you can't grow in something, but you have to have that healthy reality check. Well, they said the reason... Um, here's some truthful statements. You are one of 20 best, you are one of the 20 best basketball players in your grade. You're drawing pretty well for your age. Fourth chair clarinet seems pretty accurate for your playing ability right now. You're very nice to your friends, but, but you don't act nice to your brother. Yes, your sister is better than you are at playing the piano. No, no one's that special. You're a little overweight. Those are truthful statements. And they said, if everybody was truthful, we wouldn't have the person that can't sing at all getting on American Idol. That's true. Because nobody connected that person with reality, you know. The core problem is, this is what it says, the core problem in mental illness is not seeing oneself and the world as they are. So, so it's very important to understand reality and to have the truth about things. And you know what? This I connected this to... Uh, they talk about untrue encouragement provides nothing more than false hope. And that made me think of Casper Ten Boom because he did that so well. He did not, when Corey in the um, the Hiding Place book, mm-hmm. when she lost kind of the love of her life, he didn't come in and say, you'll find someone else. He didn't give It'll any be false all right. Hope. Yeah. I love that he loved her, but he was he loved her enough to be honest with her. And he really pointed her to the source of true hope. But he didn't give her false hope. So, And it says uh, here that encouragement is a beautiful sounding word. But if it isn't precisely true, it is short lived. Mm. And I remember Corey Timboom, she was saying, if he comes in and tells me it's going to be all right, she's not going to respect her dad. It would hurt their relationship. Yeah. And so I thought, wow. But what he did, it made their relationship grow by being, tr- by being honest. Telling the truth. And, and people want to say you are gifted you're this you're the best picture I ever saw and I, I mean 
uh, and there's a whole little part too uh, when it says a big part of life is knowing what's true and what isn't. Parents have a role to play in that process. And when parents drop the ball, you know, who parents care about their kids more than anybody, you mm-hmm. know, and that's not a real pleasant ball. I mean, yes. if someone wants to be a singer and they can't sing, you've got to be the one to say, well, let's look at other things. Maybe you could play the piano. Maybe, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Um, I just think, yeah, you're right. When you're not in touch with reality, it says repeated, untruthful, and exaggerated feedback will block accurate self-understanding from developing. It may seem supportive to overstate a compliment or give encouragement to make a child feel better, but this will have a short-term effect on lifting his or her spirits, but will contribute to inaccurate self-assessment that is too high a price for a short-term gain. And I'm just like, yeah, it is. And, you know, I feel like what parents are trying to do by, by saying those kind of those false things that they think are encouraging, they're trying to build up their child's self-esteem. What Michael and Tim point out is that we must like ourselves separate from others' opinion to have a yes. good self-esteem. So I, I like that, that they, was interesting because they said self-esteem cannot come from others. Yes. Self-esteem is what you think of yourself in spite of your performance and other people's opinions. So really what we think is helping build their self-esteem is doing the opposite. Yeah. And, and, and so you're not going to do anything if it's not truthful. You're not going to like yourself. You've got to get to it, it says the problem is these people do not like themselves if you don't have self-esteem. And so what we need to be teaching our kids is that I love the statement. I love who I am, but I'm no better than anyone else. So Very that's good. kind of the foundational thought that we want kids to have as, in terms of self-esteem. We want them to love who they are, but know that they're no better than anyone else. Then you're, then you're not going to have the entitlement and all of that and, or any false puffed up version of who you are well self-esteem has been misrepresented in america because every kid gets a trophy we give the nobel peace prize to somebody that didn't do anything we've lost touch of with reality Mm -hmm. and that hurts our kids this is how you show love for your kids spend time with them prove um, that you know who they are and what they are like give evidence that they are nearly always on your mind be firm an adult in your decisions. Look out for their best interests, not for their requests or demands. Value their opinions and privileges, but you don't need to agree. Find different ways to refer to them as one of the blessings of your life. It's good. And that's just powerful. Yes. Because people say, well, how can I do that? Well, that's how you do that. And it's real. And they, they talk about a child with an accurate view of himself or herself that they'll be able to go through trying times, rough waters. So that's what we want. We want our kids to be able to endure that. But to be able to have resilience, they have to have an accurate view of themselves. And it was interesting. They said, do not listen to what your child tells you he or she needs to feel loved. It says, do not listen to that. This is a trap. You will be far better off following the list that I gave, you know, that I read from. So I thought, wow, because really the kid's not going to know. Yeah. And I think this was the one that talked about focus on the, your love for your child more than your relationship. 
Love is far more stable and predictable than relationships. They said, you can ask the question, how do you think you did? Ask questions. And I like that. I like that too. I like they said, resilience teaches us that failure does not mean defeat. So it's good for our kids to have failure, but also know that that doesn't mean they're defeated. To keep going. Because we want them to be resilient. And for some reason, I don't know if they told why, because I was thinking, but it said kids should be uh, able to roughly assess how well they did on a school presentation, how well they mowed the lawn, or even how in shape they are physically. We are finding that kids are not adequately developing this skill. This is primarily because we live in a society that expects the adults in the child's life parents, teachers, youth workers, to give ongoing assessment of how a child is doing. We shouldn't do that. We should let the kid do that. Mm. Allow the kid to reflect on their performance, their diligence, their perseverance. That's good. That goes back to talking too much, which it's, it's fine to talk about their interest or anything like that. But when it comes from, when it comes to anything dealing with mistakes or things, they, the less words, the better. And it, I like, we, there's a whole thing on shame, which we won't get into that, but that says shame usually comes from words, either self-talk or words from another source or a person. So little discussion about mistakes as possible is important. And I like that they said, for the most part, consequences change behavior and talking fosters shame. Mm. So I know we hit on that with the, the ticket, but that kind of brings it. Yeah. Brings back it back again. again. Yeah. And this one is that all, all you need to do to develop the, the this trait is to celebrate resilience and that's how you develop resilience to celebrate it whenever it appears in your family in homes where more energy goes into applauding someone who gets up again than into comforting someone after he he or she falls down resilience will find its own life and energy and usually there's more comforting than applauding someone who gets Mm -hmm. up we don't even notice the person who got up Mm mm-hmm that's because true. they got up. We noticed the whining. That's true. Well, you were good about, because you st- gave me the book Grit. So I remember for years, you t- or years ago, you told me that about, and you were good at that with your students too, about saying, um, instead of saying, oh, wonderful, this, this paper is just wonderful, like uh, applauding the effort and saying good effort, yeah. making sure that we're not just looking for the result not just applauding the result but the effort and i think that helps resiliency too because what are we saying we're saying this is what our value is that you're working hard you know yes and when they fall down they get back up that's something to applaud and this this jumped out at me in our culture when gifted becomes expected normal becomes defective Mm. and and then you have the kid that says what's wrong with me and you have to say nothing's wrong with you you know, nothing's wrong with you, but they think something is. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. When kids feel that average is an insult, they will aspire to being gifted instead of working to be effective. What, why? W- the, our core message should be we're all made in God's image, everybody. And that's where you, you know, I, I think this wanting to, of course, if someone wants other people to think they're special, then that tells you their self-esteem is messed up. Yes, because to because if you have good self-esteem, then you don't need anyone else to say anything. And it's it about said, what you think about yourself. 
there's the two per, and they even address that two percent because they said two percent of the kids are gifted uh, you know whatever and they said even if your kid is gifted we still recommend you be careful about pushing this perception on your child it's fine to mention this so your child understands that you expect him or her to work at a level corresponding to his ability but here's why it's not helpful if your child ends up going to MIT, most likely he or she will be quite average in that setting. Mm. What if your MIT candidate un tries water skiing? He or she might be quite average in that setting also. Being able to feel comfortable with being average is a great trait for us all to learn. That's good. So even if you are gifted in one area, well, you can turn right around and, and not be gifted in another. So that's that's, true. I always said, we're all gifted in my classroom. I, I said, we're all gifted in different areas. That's what I used to say, because I've had kids cry because they didn't get into the gifted and talented program. And mm. I would just say, well, that is so stupid, you know, in mm. my mind. So I just said, everybody's gifted. Look at, look at how well you draw, how well. And then years ago I had, uh, I had had both kids that, of, of a parent and her first one was was probably gifted he he in school her daughter when i had her years later a couple years later she said i don't know what's wrong with her you know she's she makes b's and you know like because the other one made straight a's and i said you know what like your son he was he was good at schoolwork and and doing the work and he he was an a student and he went on to i think to be a rocket scientist but I said, you know what your daughter does? She gets along with everybody. Her son had no friends. So look beyond just the schoolwork. Yeah, her daughter yes. was Miss Congeniality. Everybody liked her. Mm. And she was making bees. And I'm actually friends with her on Facebook. Years later, she has two sons. I mean, and I think she's passed that on. She, she has grit. She would do, she worked at what she got. And I think that makes you able to, she was having to work for her grades and her brother just, it was easy. And he would say that you guys don't get this like that. <laughs> well, that's not really how you win friends, you know? Yeah. But, and I see she has, she has a son that is uh, in a, a swimmer and that's going to be hard, you know, and, and she, he's won medals and stuff like that. But his mom, I feel like she taught him grit because yes. she had grit growing up and it's just something you want to give your kids the gift of grit. That's true. At the end of that second part, it did mention Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. Can I just put a shameless plug in for the book? Sure. <laughs> shameless plug. They said if it, they had a chapter on overparenting and they started with Charlie and the Chocolate Factory and they talked about how um, Augustus Kloop was the obese candy addict. And then they talked about Violet, who was proud, and Veruca. And that name means wart, which I thought was hysterical. I didn't was, know that. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, and spoiled and all that. And I said, what a great way to show us what overparenting does. And actually what overparenting ends up doing is crippling your kids. Because praise will never offset our being critical. So, I mean, you, you've got to find that you know, the, you can be too, too overly involved and too gushy, mushy, or you can be too critical. Either one of those, you're overly involved and just don't make the mistake of being overly, uh, because I think if you put a picture in there, do you want to be Augustus Kloop, Veruca Salt, Violet Beauregard, was that her name? 
Mm-hmm. But I mean, to me, I thought that that was genius. That's a great picture of overparenting. And it says the dangers of um, overindulgent results in a child being who feels entitled. The inability to delay gratification creates entitled young adults. And we've talked about that. And we want to get it right now. Okay. So, but there's just so much. Oh, there, you really just got to get it because it's, there's so, I, I mean, we can't really talk about everything. We're trying to hit the high points, but there's so, so much. At the end of that, it said oh, kids with over-involved parents end up feeling controlled and resentful. Over-affirmed kids grow up with inaccurate picture of who they are. Overindulged kids grow up feeling entitled. Overprotected kids end up dependent. I mean, isn't that just wonderful the way they did? They broke it, it down. Just, yeah. Yeah. Jumping into part three, which is the unintended consequences of ineffective parenting. And the first one kind of goes about be careful what you say. And so one of the phrases that we use a lot is just do your best, which we think that's a good phrase. But they break it down and they say it's that's a problem for three reasons, because it's unachievable. It opposes the law of diminishing returns and it teaches kids to lie. And that's powerful. And I never thought of that before. Well, I think we've grown up. We may have even heard that. Just do your best. It sounds like it's one of those pat answers, you know. But it it actually says telling your kids to just do their best delays their learning this important law. And the law of is diminishing returns. So um, when you think... Have you ever just done your best? If you did your best on your English assignment, your total best, that means you put 100% of your effort in that, then your math didn't get done. Yes. So, and it, you probably and didn't it, get any sleep. Yeah. So, and it said we need to find, teach them the point of, it, it, and I think you were so right when you said you actually tried this out on Titus instead of saying do your best then you gave specific things you were going to be looking for kids love that they do because it's it's tangible well and I learned that from this book because it made sense to me because instead of because here's what usually happens we'll go we'll do the MMA I'm like just do your best and then he'll at the end say I did my best and even if I think he didn't you can't I can't argue with that because I don't know what yeah. his best was, even though I know I'm like, he could have given more, given more effort and all of this stuff. So it's teaching him to lie because he knows that that wasn't his best. And then because his best, because I, I think I told you really, you're probably only going to give your best. If you're hanging off a cliff, then mm-hmm. your bet, your completely best effort to, to pull yourself up. That's your best. And so we can't maybe be a expected. Woman, uh- a woman in labor, you're going to yeah. give your best. Yeah. I mean, Cause you can't do anything else, but there's going to be isolated attempts. Yeah. And so I thought that, that the law of diminishing returns was a, a very good way to think about that. I never thought about it before, but we do that in our daily lives all the time when like, okay, five minutes is enough time to spend on this email is an example they use. And so it helps us know, okay, the right amount of time and the right amount of effort will produce the results I want. And that's what we want for them. And mm-hmm. so for, but it says you have to be specific in what you expect to help them. And so that's what we did. The, our last class, I said, I expect you to be focused. I expect you to put as much effort out as you need to reach this goal, which, you know, was very specific at that time. And 
he did amazing. He, he did amazing. He surpassed his goal. And and then tell wasn't he also encouraging others? So he, he had enough energy left. To so encourage much, others. so much better attitude. So much, yes, encouraging others. It was great to see, and I like that they point out too that a lot of times kids want to know when they're done. You know, so when you're yeah. specific with your expectations, they know when they've reached that. But just saying, just do your best. That's it's so vague. It's so the. There's no real completion of anything. And then it gets where it doesn't mean anything. Yes. You know. And it just, I think, just tell them exactly what you expect. And I think that, and just like it said threats, it says threats are simply ineffective. And I thought, wow. Mm. I mean, because how many times have you heard that in the grocery store? Well, I'm going to get like that. It, and it, as for teachers, it says it, if you threaten that there's no learning going to take place because they, they also see it as weakening the person who's making the threat. It, it does. They don't, they don't see that as strengthening. It, it weakens you, which I thought, wow. So just don't threaten. Don't. And reminders. Oh my goodness. I think I circled this. Reminders teach our children to be forgetters. <laughs> I, re- I did love that too. It says reminders uh, also relieve the child of his or her personal responsibility and transfer it to someone else. Mm-hmm. So it, it really, when you step back and think about it, if you have to remind Junior, then you think he won't remember. And that's sending him the message. Mom thinks I won't remember, but I really don't have to because she's going to remind me. Yeah. You have all the, the pizza slices, all the emotional yeah. investment. You, you've taken that on instead of letting them fail and forgetting their library book or forgetting something and not getting to participate. Maybe they forgot to have you sign the field trip slip or something. Mm-hmm. You know? and, and people don't realize it would not hurt Junior to go without lunch, to, to miss a field trip. I mean, it really wouldn't, but the school's not going to let that happen either. If you forget, if a kid forgets their lunch, they feed them a lunch. And our thinking has to be, I wonder what they're going to do. And it's funny because that happened today. My husband uh, took our kids to school and it's, you can wear a hat on Fridays if you bring a dollar. And so my husband had given my youngest a dollar. Well, he sent me a picture of a dollar in the back seat. So I was like, (laughs) I wonder what, I wonder what he's, how that's going to play out. So but I'm like, we're not going to run up. We're not going to go give him this, bring the dollar up there. We got to, he needs to, he made a mistake. And so he needs to deal with the consequences of it. And that will build him as a person. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? And I liked, you said you took them to the fall festival and gave them X amount of tickets. And uh, the youngest one went through his in like 15 minutes, but, and he spent the rest of the time helping you at the booth you were manning. Mm-hmm. And he said, I spent my tickets unwisely but I'm spending my time wisely. Yes. He's helping you. And I thought, what way to recover from that? Yes. So when you do something stupid, then go fix it by doing something smart. Yeah. <laughs> I just thought true. that was smart. Yeah. And it talked about warnings, how don't warn kids like I'm down in that warning. And, it, and it, then it differentiated between warnings. Like if you're in a park and it says, do not feed the bears, then you can say, you know, sometimes new information is not a warning but if you warn all the time then that kind of uh dilutes yeah Yeah. and and where if if there's a tornado possibility that's a warning but if you do that all the time warning then then you become that white noise and i don't think any parent wants to be white noise no 
I really like how this book, it has helped me a lot step back and it really takes a lot off of you. Like we have put so much responsibility on ourselves and there is a big responsibility in raising kids, but we've been taking on their responsibility. So this really helps get my mindset right on, okay, they, they can do this. And then I'm sitting back and watching them. That's my biggest takeaway too, is it takes a lot of patience because some of these consequences, they are, they take time. They take days or weeks to unfold because you're letting things naturally happen sometimes. And that's difficult because yes, to step back and be like, okay, and just be patient. And, and even on their strategies, a lot of times they say, take something away when the child's not there. So they need to, yeah, I mean, totally. if you've usually gone over it. So like, you know, okay, if you're mean to your brother, you're going to lose your Xbox, but you don't take it away right then. Usually it's like when they're gone, then you take it away. And when they come back, there's no, you can't, they can't argue with it. You know, it's yeah. gone. So well, like, and it was really hard to read for me to read at the very end. And it, cause it said, when you say, so I like what you say, talk less, because it says some very hurtful things that parents have said. And I've heard some of those from my mom. And, and you know what? You can't take those back. Mm-hmm. Now I'm beyond that because I'm thinking, oh, well, I'm made in the image of God. God's my heavenly father. But you don't want to make the mistake of saying those. And it says that harsh rejection from a parent can wound a child's soul. And I can tell you that's true. Yes. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to go there. And if you don't say anything, then you, you, you won't be saying uh, the things that will hurt the child's soul. Cause, and they compared this to words are like toothpaste. Remember once they're out of the tube, it's hard to get them back. And we've done that in class before squeeze out the toothpaste. And then I'll tell them, okay, guys, put that back in there. Yes. Puts the toothpaste back in the tube. Well, then that 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 year, hopefully, they will think before they speak. Yes. But we need to always do that. And then it talked about um, the black hole of technology. I have to read G.K. Chesterton's quote: "A dead thing can go with the stream, but only a living thing can go against it." That was good. I like that. It says consequences of screen time for kids. This is what research is revealing. The amount of time has an effect on our ability to communicate, connect, and deal with adversity. And we spend less and less time face-to-face. So it talks about, there's a lot of things we don't know about, but we do know that uh, excessive time on devices leads to teen depression. And Mm -hmm. Yeah. And some things we don't know, but some things we do, and this can make them irritable, moody, restless, oppositional, easily angered. And he makes a big point of like Steve Jobs and other people that are in that business, they forbid screens in their kids' bedrooms. They, they don't let their kids use them until they're like a certain age and all that. And I thought, wow. Yeah. They, there's a quote from Tristan Harris, who was a former Google employee and says, there are a thousand people on the other side of the screen whose job it is to break down the self-regulation you have. So that I thought was eye-opening because no wonder it's difficult to get away from that distraction when that is some people's only job is to get your attention. And Mm -hmm. so, but that's why if we don't control our device usage, then it will ultimately control us. So if we have to be extremely intentional and set parameters around ourselves and our children or else 
the thousands and thousands of people on the other side will win. We, yeah, and that, that was in that one book I sent you. Um, I can't remember it, but about the lady who's doing brain research, how how tech technically they work, they know the brain and they use that brain. They use their research to give you the dopamine right when you need it. And, and that's why you can play a video game all day and not even you. That part of your brain is numb to the part that says time's passing. Yes. Like you're not going to read a book all day. No. You're not going to cook all day, but yet you can, kids can play a video game all day. And these are ADHD kids and they're sitting there. Why? What's wrong? Well, because that part is numb that says time's passing. So they don't think time's passing. Mm -hmm. It so says, good. this is, this was said, unbelievably, today's average gamer is 34 years old. I put a sad face by that. Mm-hmm. Because I'm like, wow, you know, you could be reading to get your kids or something, you know. And it talks about addiction. It goes into a lot of things, the black hole of technology and stuff. There's but a quote that said, "We, when we accept di diminished substitutes, we become diminished substitutes. When we oh, accept it, mm -hmm. we become it. And I thought, and it talks about how people can't communicate. If, if you call somebody, you've got to respond right then, and it's too much pressure. People don't like it. Well, I feel like that, that is definitely true of uh, my generation, for sure. My husband is that way. He would much rather text or email than make a phone call. A lot of times he'll ask me to make phone calls uh, for, you know, to set up appointments because he's just, he doesn't like doing that. And so, but there was a... a a quote in here that says people are connecting more frequently than ever before and relating less. So Ooh. even though you're, you are connecting through text and email and stuff relating, I think that's, that's more of a face to face or phone, you know, phone call, something more personable. And I was, cause we've done some books on limiting technology, but this one said the area of the brain responsible for empathy, compassion, and integrating physical signs with emotions is the insula. The insula is damaged by excessive video gaming, affecting the skills necessary for developing the proper depth and quality of personal relationships. I was like, what? Yeah. I thought the that was, Wow. Those, that human interaction, it's so important. Like, uh, even back to the texting, it says texting and voicemails are emotional shortcuts. Ooh. So it says the difference between a boy texting his boss, he's going to be 10 minutes late for work, and a boy calling his boss to tell him that he's running late. That, that's a difference. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So. I, I love that. And at the end, it says parents should use technology to teach their children important concepts, including self-regulation, priorities, level of importance, and their digital footprint. I mean, because they say, you know, and they're not they're not saying no technology. No, because we live in a world. You but have they're to. Telling, yeah. They're showing us how important it is for parents to navigate that. Yes. As addiction pathways are the same for screen time, drugs, alcohol, and pornography. Same pathway. So we don't want that pathway to develop, you know. So really, we need to look at it as a, this is a good training ground. This is a good opportunity for them in other areas of their lives. Yes. So mm -hmm. we need to take it, see it like that, where it's, okay, you need to set your timer. If you're going to do, you know, you can have screen time for an hour. And then they need to have, take responsibility, set the timer, be able to turn it off. Like that way, when they're out of the house, they can, they have that 
not externally. Intrinsically Monitor. motivated. That's yeah. That's there you is. go. Yeah, you came to use. And then on overloaded, it talks about margin, and I like how they said margin because what is margin? It's like free time, but you know they said it differently. Uh, I probably would never thought about it, but I said, hey. I got to have some margin. <laughs> yes. But you know, I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but, but I tend to like books that have a bigger margin. And, you know, sometimes through thrift books, I've gotten some books that have no margin and it is hard to read those because for you, I've had some, you can't even see the inside because they've, they haven't allowed for the margin. Mm. And I think that's how crowded your life is. Good so connection. You, yeah. You need a margin. I loved yeah. it. I didn't even put it, I didn't make the connection with an actual margin. So that's cool that you made that. Thank you for pulling that out. I well, love that. If you've ever read a book with no margin and you keep pushing the spine <laughs> yeah. down, and you're like, what <laughs> is the word? What is the word? You it know. is annoying. Yes. I, I never like thought about it before though. So I like that it says wrongheaded ideas have a nasty habit of catching on more quickly than correct ideas. Is, is that not true? That is true. Margin allows us to recharge. Margin allow margin gives us space. And um, I mean, it was just, I, I, and it was a short chapter, but I liked it. And that was under overloaded. And then you have learned helplessness. What, what is learned helplessness? So children who have experienced learned helplessness believe they have no control over their world or the learning process. And it hurts too much to try. So it's different. Mm. They make a point that it's different than being lazy. Very and... much so. Yeah. Because the the story, you know, I'm the story person. It starts out and, and probably people know Florence Chadwick. I know we had a story on her in third grade. She was swimming the English Channel and it was um, like 1952. She'd swam and swam and she just gave up. And her mother was swimming along beside her and she said, you know, you can do it. She'd swam for 15 hours, but she, all she could see was fog all around her and she quit and she was a half a mile away. Yes. And she said, I could have made it if I'd only known, but I could, she said, all I could see was the fog. If I could have seen the shore. And I think these people, these are people that they've lost a belief that it's their capacity to affect their own lives. They've lost that ability. So they look lazy. They do. They mm -hmm. look lazy, but they're not lazy. They're lost. And a lot of that comes from randomness. So, you well, know, they talk yeah, a I lot that, about. I grew up with randomness and it is not good. Yeah. I can tell you. It's, it's so hard. Kids want predictability and to have that stable environment. And uh, we have the habit book that will be coming that we will go over that one. That's a, really good about developing all of those. But yeah, they said randomness is often the rule in dysfunctional homes. Mm -hmm. So that it's uh, addictions, affairs, painful marriages, secrets, absence, media, and chaos can all contribute to an environment that is too irregular and unpredictable for a child to figure out and therefore feel secure. So then I get it. Why, if you're confused and, you, you know, you don't, everything seems random, it's hard for you to, to grasp that and feel in control of anything. Well, you just can't. And then it says stress goes with this. Uh, I'm thankful that I, I didn't develop learned helplessness. I guess I was just wanting a way out. Mm -hmm. But stress leads to that. And then you have all the, you know, you feel like that you are living on the Titanic, basically. It's going down. But you don't know when it's going down. You know, so you, you have this and that. And it's nothing is consistent. So 
I would say, and it talks about over-functioning parents or under-functioning. I would just think there's that balance that you're talking about that's in the routine book to, to develop those routines. And that will be your kid's safe place to fall. I mean, home needs to be a safe place. Yes. Because the, the world may knock them around a bit and that's good. Now you mm-hmm. can say, oh, that's, that's good, Junior. Let, yeah. What did you learn from that? That's what my dad used to say. What, what did you learn from that? And I think that helps. Uh, it's true. And a lot of times we are stressing out our kids and we don't know it though. So going back, even in a, a functional home, like that they talked about the moving carrot. So one of the stressors for adults and children is that they never feel done. So I do think there's something important in like as far as chores or expectations, having a list or something where the kid, when they can check it off and then they are done and they know that nothing more and it says it's important for you to tell them that nothing mm-hmm. more is required of you today. You are done. You did, you know, thank you. And, but he- hearing that brings some sort of stability and some finality to, okay, I'm done. I can like relax and not have to worry about anything else. When they were talking about at the end of that, kids can recover when they learn they can control the outcomes in their lives and experience success, no matter where you're at. And, you know, it could have been that we've made mistakes. We've all made mistakes in parenting and everything. But even me, I've made mistakes as a parent. This will help me be a better grandparent. Yes. So I want to back you up on what you're doing and saying, oh, well, when you come here, no rules. I'm not going to do that. Of course, you're saying you never did do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still not going to do that, you know. But no, I, think- I love that we can do this journey together. And I love, and you bring things out that I, I missed. And I, I love that we can talk about it because then it helps solidify it even more. So I appreciate you going on this journey with me. So I think, yeah, that's vital. Well, I just think that it is always, it, th- we can all learn something. We're all learners as we walk through life. And we, who wants a kid to be helpless? Mm-hmm. Who wants a kid? No what one. did you learn from your parents? I learned helplessness. Because guess what? Mom and dad aren't always going to be there. So it's very powerful to, to know how, how did you get there? As a teacher, I've seen it. I've seen learned helplessness. And it does kind of look like laziness. You know, it's a kid that like, my mom didn't put my homework in my bag. I'm like, did your mom do your homework? I mean, that's kind of like telling me your mom, I did have that. I had a parent years ago who did the kid's homework and messed it up all the time. It was mad. And I said, honey, you're going to have to start doing your own homework. You're going to fail. <laughs> Come on. You can tell by the handwriting. I was like, man, okay. Let's... What did you think of the impact of stress at the end? I thought that was really well said because it was talking about overreactive parents fuel the stress hormones in their kids. So everything becomes emotional for the child and the parent. It's not a good cycle to get into. So when you're overreact to something and all, it's really important for parents to be emotionally neutral in so many things. And so, and don't let the kids stress bring you stress. Mm-hmm. And so I like that it said that our job is to reassure them that to define the seriousness or importance of stressful event. And you have to help define that because if they can't find something, they lose their temper and they think it's an eight. When if you can't find your pen, it's a two or a one. And we need to say that's a speed bump, not a sinkhole. Mm-hmm. Perfect. And, and they did say there's three kinds of stress. 
there there is positive stress like um you're going to be in a UIL event that would be stress or a spelling test or something but and there's tolerable stress when like you lose Loss somebody of a, yes and that's something you can't control and then the other one toxic, toxic. stress is a different animal and they and I, I love that because that's true there mm-hmm. there are different kinds of stress kids overreact but that's maybe because parents have overreacted. That's true. And it said parents need to be a calm and stable influence for their child, calling out his or her competence. And the primary mm-hmm. guidance that the parents should be doing is guiding the child about the problem, not through the problem. Ooh. I thought that was a good distinction. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, let's, I'll, I'm here for you about the problem. And then, but you, and to tie that back with what you said, that question is, what are you going to do about it? I think that's a great question. Because you're there, you're helping helping them think through the problem, but you're not doing it. And they ended up back, they have final words, and they said, parenting can be the most difficult and tasking endeavor of your life. And then the biggest benefit will be kids who grow up much more ready for life. And they want you to do it happier and live more peacefully. And they had a real honest uh a take on it and they said joy in the journey we say take back the joy of the journey and i love that because i always mm. like that phrase i really and the final words i liked remember for you to grow up your children you need to make the most changes so oh, i think yes. that's important that through reading this book instead of it's not like oh my kid's the problem it's like i'm i'm part of that problem i'm mm-hmm. so i'm the one i need to make the most changes and this book really helps you because, you know, who would have thought talking, because there was a one quote that I wrote down, consequences change behavior. Talking fosters shame. Yes. I mean, if we know that, then, then, then we can do something different. It's true. But, woo. So that good. is a wrap on just the essence of raising life-ready kids. Such a good book. We highly recommend it. There's just so many nuggets in there. So good. It's, this is definitely going to be a reread for me too. And because... maybe a reference book that sits on your shelf and you pull it out. Oh, oh yeah, cause, yes. Because now you're in the elementary school, but they've got stuff for, you know, elementary, teenage, even up. You want your kid to be ready. And, yes. Uh, well, I think this will really help. And that was, I heard about it on Focus on the Family. That's where I... Oh, yes. I forgot to ask you that. And it's been published three different times. So... uh, 2013 was the first one, I think. Yeah. And then updated. And then this one was 2019. So it's been around a while. And I think they probably did the end part on technology, I think, is why it was probably updated some. We hope you keep those book lights burning and those pages turning. We'll see you on the next one.